0: hello everyone and welcome to the todd cast show my name is todd mirah your host and i'm so excited to be here with all of you the Toddcast show is dedicated to exploring the human condition through conversation with strangers we explore the positive interesting and oftentimes shocking side of human nature in each episode of the Toddcast show, I talk with strangers in a down-to-earth, old-school, and heartfelt way about their life. Nothing is ever scripted. Everything is spontaneous, positive, and we never discuss politics. You won't know what to expect next. Join in the conversation to laugh, love, learn, and grow with others around the planet. Who will I call next? Tune in to find out every Wednesday at midnight Pacific or for playback anytime on your favorite podcast listening platform. And stay connected with us at ToddCastShow.com.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the ToddCast show. Today we're joined by someone special, Joe. How you doing, Joe?
2: Todd, I'm doing awesome, man. I'm looking forward to sitting here and having a conversation.
1: Right on, man.
2: Let me me grab my drink.
1: Please. That's perfect. (laughs) Hi. Yeah, for the record, it's five o'clock here and uh, eight o'clock where Joe is right now, right? Are you in... Uh, Yep, I'm on
2: East Coast time, so it's after dark and it's been a Uh, long
1: day. Eddie's not driving, that's good, that's good. Joe's having a good evening, so you're perfectly uh, in tune with um, the purpose of the show. I really appreciate that, thank you. And uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. you live in Albany? Were you born there? Did you grow up there? Tell me a little bit about how you uh, came to be in New York. So, my
2: mom's family has been here then right after the civil war when they came over from ireland and down through canada so i'm actually further north than albany i in uh saratoga which oh. is home of the tarot chip and also the turning point of the american revolution really? so for people who don't know where saratoga is if you t- look at a map you put a dot in new york city a dot in montreal and basically halfway in between
1: Oh, I see. That's amazing. I lived in uh, a place called Salt Point, New York, for a little while. Do you know where that is?
2: I have never even heard of that. Where is that?
1: Uh, north of Poughkeepsie, about <laughs> sixty miles, as I recall. So, yeah.
2: what what county is that? Is that Albany County,
1: or mm, I don't know, man. Let me see. I can Google it really fast. Let's see.
2: Yeah.
1: Salt Point. Oh, let's see how fast. Uh, how fast we can Google this! So it is in Dutchess County, and okay. uh, yep, yeah, up, it's, I want to say south of Kingston and north of New Pates or Pouts or whatever that is. New but uh, I, yeah. I don't I don't know the area at all. I was down in
2: that area yesterday, coming back from the family cabin out in the middle of nowhere.
1: Oh, really? That sounds yep. amazing. So um, lots of time in nature. Do you um, spend a lot of time out of the city or? Are you in the city? I
2: avoid the city with everything in my being.
1: Uh-huh. So the
2: only reason, in my opinion, to go to New York City is to go watch Yankees games.
1: Oh, very cool. If you're a sports fan,
2: big, diehard Yankees fan. In fact, I went to the opening day at the new Yankee Stadium, and it's the only Yankees game I've ever attended that I've seen them look.
1: Wow, bummer, dude. Well, go see another one where they win. I'm hoping to in a couple of weeks, and hopefully
2: I can see Aaron Judge do something historic.
1: Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, Speaking of New York, you know, there's been a lot of things on the news and whatnot about New York City and crime, and, you know, we all know about COVID and all that. What's your uh, take on all of that, Jive? So,
2: I'm not going to go off on COVID because... You know, everybody has their own belief systems around that. Sure. They say, read the data. I'm a scientist by background, so read the data, read the reports. Uh, but in terms of the crime, the crime has come up a lot in the past 10, 15 years. And it's not quite where it was in the 1970s when people would not go to, like, Times Square or, or ride the subway but is trended in that direction. And one of the major things about it is that there has been a disconnect between action and consequence.
0: Mm. If you do
2: bad things, you know, you, you, police officers would stop you, or you would go to jail, or mm-hmm. it would be very painful. Get and your ass kicked. if fixed. there is a disconnect between actions and consequences, people will continue to do bad things. And this is on a personal basis, too. I mean, if, if somebody, 10, like if they're married and put 10 different dating apps on their phone and uh, basically sneak around and nobody says anything to them, even though they might know about it, then they're going to get worse and worse. They move down that slide. So if somebody on their taxes, then they're going to cheat more, then they're going to cheat more, and eventually they're going to really do something. If somebody is, you know, steals a dollar, then they're going to steal $5, then they're going to steal $50. Yeah. So it is this preventing the slippery slope, the enforcing of the basic rules. You know, uh, Giuliani's police force called it the broken windows theory, but it goes beyond that in that we can't tolerate that in ourselves. and If we see it in others, even at a small level, we need to call it out because the instant that we call it out, they will change their behavior.
1: Yeah, because of social pressure, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I kind of miss the days when bad people were ostracized or hung, to be honest with you. <laughs> I hate to say it, but, um, you know, the old west had it right, you know? and
2: Well, if you, if you go back, like, even 50 years ago, it'd be like, I know your parents.
1: Yeah, that's all you had to stop. say. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. It wasn't even, well, I'm 50 now, but yeah, that was always the worst thing you ever wanted to hear is like, I'm going to talk to your mother. <laughs> I
2: mean, I'm, I'm 30, 20 also. So, um, right. one, I've got a friend whose nephew
1: Very clever. was in
2: the same grade as one of my kids. And they were at like uh, after school program, and the kid was doing something wrong. And I'm like, "Sam McDonough, I know your parents and your grandparents."
1: And the lookout <laughs> was like, "Oh my God!"
2: You know, having that sort of accountability in, on a personal basis, having I don't want to call it fear, but you know, knowing right from wrong and being reminded of it is a powerful thing. One of the standards that I but teach people when I teach ethics classes is, do you want to have to explain this to your grandmother?
1: Mm-hmm. But doesn't it come down to morality and values? And, you know, aren't it,
2: it does, not? but, you know, shame and guilt are very powerful things. Mm-hmm. And people feel guilt if they have a normal, functional... Um, emotional system and belief system narcissists mm-hmm. don't feel guilt they feel shame
3: mm-hmm. and
2: it might be enough to prevent them from doing bad things but for the 90 to 95% of the population that has a normal functional uh, belief system around stuff like this just calling them out like that can be enough to prevent them from crossing lines
1: or get so, you or get you shot
2: <laughs> yeah, it could get you shot, but I mean, that's the sort of individual who's going to cause problems anyway. So, yeah, well I shouldn't joke about that.
3: Yeah. If,
2: they, if it was brought out earlier, if they had somebody call out their bad behavior before really going down that path too far, it would prevent that. That's one of the reasons why you stop little things before they become big things. You can't stop an avalanche at the bottom of the mountain.
1: That's you exactly right. At the top. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of where I was going with it. Is what do you think is missing from, you know, the family? Is it is it the family that's responsible for the people that do this, or is it the, child themselves that turn into these people? Like, what is it that makes this happen, or what would change it? You think? Aside from there are many factors in this equation, and being a physicist by background, I use
2: equations and models to describe a lot of things, but. There's a lot of factors in this equation. And one of the big ones is the people that they surround themselves. There's an old adage that you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with.
1: Yeah, I've heard that.
2: And that, so, you know, spend time around better people. You know, upgrade the people that you hang around with. We've all got that one friend who we have cut out or should have cut out of our lives because they do, you know, really stupid or bad things.
1: Uh, and absolutely. you realize at some
2: point, ooh, this is not gonna be a good path to go down long range. That's
1: right. You're absolutely right. The other right. thing
2: is, uh, one of the things that I've come to realize, and that uh, one of my friends actually pointed this out, is that the people that you hang out with from in junior high and high school are going to determine most of the outcome of the rest of your life. If you hang out with hooligans and lawbreakers, guess what? You're very likely to go to jail, even if it's because they do something stupid and you happen to be near them, and you are collateral damage. Right. You're still going to have that thing happen. And so I was thinking about this earlier today when I was uh, recording a YouTube video around the family that you choose, I was thinking about my best friend from high school, who's one well, of my closest friends, she's in my phone as my favorite sister, <laughs> and because uh, her dad loved me more than he loved her, but my mom loved her more than she loved me. <laughs> fair, so fair. It balanced
1: out, yeah. <laughs>
2: and so, this is my BFF, Jim Do. Right
1: um, on. She,
2: she came to the United States from Vietnam when she was a baby, wow. and, you, you know, very different culture, obviously. But very academic driven. Uh, super large family. We only had six in my family. She's got nine. So there's a lot of uh, cross pollination in terms of belief systems there. Cool. And so we pushed each other as two of the smartest kids and reinforced it. And even to this day, you know, we're both 50 years old now. We call each other each morning and make fun of each other. And <laughs> tell them that. Tell the other one. Hope you have a wonderful day, or something like that. And it's that little touch point every single day. And this has been going on of us, you know, making fun of each other and loving each other for almost 40 years. Nice. But if I decided to hang around with the kids that were doing bad things and breaking windows and smoking cigarettes and, you know, breaking into, you know, liquor stores, guess what? I thought would be in jail or dead. Yeah. the people that you choose to be around. The question of nature versus nurture, it's both, but nurture is much more important than nature. I mean, it's much more important than the
1: genetics.
2: It's yeah. the factors.
1: Interesting. So the change is within the hands of the parents and the society around the people, so really it's a, it has to be a collective effort, but it always starts with just one person.
2: And yeah. it always comes down to personal responsibility because there's all these studies of identical twins who, you know, one decided to go down the bad path. I mean, I have an Irish twin. My older brother's 11 and a half months older than me. And we're extremely different because we chose different people to be around.
1: Hmm. Fascinating. That's really something. As the high school thing, you know, you saying that made me think about it and... I went to two different high schools, and they were really, really different places. The first one was a wide open, nice place, and really kind of fancy almost, and the second one was like, uh, there were gates and guards and gangs, and like, it was crazy, man. I mean, I got along just fine with everyone. It's funny that you say that, because I always pride, pride myself in being able to get along with everyone. I enjoy different types of people, you know? So. I hung out with some of those hooligans and other people, but always the ones that I was closest to were like parents and teachers and older people, you know? Yep, Um, and
2: it gave you a, I don't want to say better path, but it's a path with less landmines and, you know, bandits on it, essentially.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always wanted to trust different types of people. I believe that everyone has good in them, but... I think as you grow, it's good to discern that, uh, especially these days. You know, the next thing you know, you're in big, deep trouble. But, yeah, back in the days, whenever trouble would come or I, I could tell there was something going to happen, I would get out of there. So, you know, it's yeah, I feel you. I feel you. And smoking cigarettes. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that was the worst thing that people did these days? <laughs> yeah, well,
2: I, I have three teenage sons, so ah. I've got my radar up.
1: Oh, I can imagine. So you have three kids. Are you married?
2: I am recently divorced. I was one of the many, many COVID divorces.
3: We saw
2: a 50% increase in divorces. And the two distinct groups were the people who had just been married. So people who, you know, had been married under two years. And they go to work to get away from their spouse and everything. So they were still in the early acclimation and trying to understand each other phase. And suddenly they were spending too much time with each other too quickly. Or people like me who had been married 20 plus years. And, you know, we were almost living separate lives in the same house because my ex traveled three to four weeks out of the bug and I took care of the kids in addition to working. So she didn't even realize what it meant to have special needs kids.
1: Oh, your kids are special needs? Into
2: COVID. Two out of my three are special needs.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's something to apologize for, but um, that takes a lot of extra effort and energy, and you probably had to learn to adapt to that type of parenting, right?
2: It, it, exactly, because, like, when you find out that your child is special needs, first, it's like, whining, Then you're scared, especially depending on the special needs, if it's autism or you know, some uh, mental disorder, something where they might be dependent upon you for the entire rest of their lives. And so there's all this fear, and then what happens is you start studying. You're like, okay, what's going on? How does autism affect this? Okay, what's the future? Who else has autism? What can I learn? And so very often, after a diagnosis, people will go into a very high learning mode just so that they can understand and anybody who has a kid, uh, any of your listeners, that is special needs of any form, whether it's diabetes, pediatric cancer, uh, autism, ADHD, any of these things, find a community. Find other parents with the same issues with their children so that you can swap stories, so that you can help each other because there's going to be a lot of rough days. So that you can learn, so that you can get additional coping strategies, which is something that my friend Jason, who's got a son who's a couple of years older than my kids, and a couple of steps further along the spectrum, really helped me out.
1: Awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, I actually grew up as an ADHD kid, and I had, well, they called it, generally speaking, a learning disability. I went to a private, private school for the first time. Well, first nine years of school, really, and then I went to high school, but, um, you know, I struggled with issues, and there's still things today that are challenging sometimes, and I always wonder, as an individual, you know, that grew up with these types of issues, you know, I've overcome quite a bit, but, um, you know, I don't really understand what it took to to raise me, so it's interesting to speak with you, because I know my mom probably struggled quite a bit. I was the troublemaker out of the three boys. Um... You know, no question about it, but, uh, you know, I never thought it was that bad, but I guess uh, tearing down a structure in an apartment complex with your skateboard is probably not a good idea.
2: <laughs> so I was an adult diagnosed ADHD, Oh. so I I feel you on this. And oh, okay, so, cool. You know, I used to, like, do scientific experiments, and i almost burn things down with a magnifying glass <laughs> and all these other things. And I used to, before my mom died, call her up and say, "Mom, I'm so sorry." And her response would be, "Okay, which one? And what did they do this time?"
1: Yeah, yeah, that my was My mom actually... had the
2: patience of a saint because she had six kids, and you know, my mom was a nun, so obviously she learned how to deal with whores.
1: Wow! No kidding. You have, you have five other siblings? Yeah. That's amazing. Do they all live in the Plus states? Plus all the
2: ones that my parents like, you know, just
1: brought into our
2: family and adopted. adopted. So I've got, you know, awesome. an adopted brother who's a mom senior and someday might be pope.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Very so cool. So as Carl
2: says in Caddyshack, so I got that going for
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, we're being the same age. So you're, are you a child of the 80s like myself? Uh, I just kind of sense that you know, we're kind of similar that way. Is that your favorite era, or what would your favorite oh, era be? I, I
2: was, I am the definition of Gen Xer. Okay.
1: Excellent. You know,
2: we'd come home, uh, and like for the summer, my mom would kick us outside and say, there's the garden hose, don't want to eat the drink from, don't want to eat the lunch, have fun, don't die.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Remember the term latchkey kids? Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I was a latchkey kid, uh, which was kind of cool, a sense of freedom, you know, having a key and you went in the place by yourself as a kid. And I mean, that was kind of cool. But man, so different than uh, the things that are happening today. Um, what kind of things do you think about in terms of raising your children? You know, I know that there are certain challenges and all, but there's opportunity in those challenges. Uh, like kids that are autistic, for example, are incredibly smart and they have the ability to use their brain in really specialized ways. Um, do you have a strategy for dealing with that? Like, how is it that you, you know, approach that as a parent?
2: So one of the things that I found out in my studies was that autistics and Asperger's, which is the high end of spectrum, are incredibly overrepresented in the STEM world, engineers and uh, scientists. And so I was a physicist, I went to an engineering school, RPI. So I mean, our mascot was the engineers. And so after my son was diagnosed and I started studying this, I basically went through my undergraduate physics department. I'm like, yeah, yep, they're on the spectrum. Yep, they're on the spectrum. Yep, they're on the spectrum. I look at like some of my fraternity brothers and some of the things that they do. So I, you know, basically said, used it to back-analyze so that I could have a better understanding and some of my friends from college who are Asperger's or autistic are PhDs, they're mathematics professors, they're incredibly successful in a lot of ways. So as I explained to people about my autistic children, they're not weird. Well they're weird because they're my kids and you know we're just a bunch of weirdos. But they, they're just Different. They process a little differently. One of the things, that, the reasons why engineers are overrepresented, is because people on the spectrum very often—not always, but very often—basically have checklists and flowcharts in their brain, and you can see them going through their checklist of things. Which is one of the reasons why my youngest had issues with uh, reading fiction in school because a plot twist. Would not follow his logical conclusion of A to B to C to D. Uh, and
0: so
1: it would
2: freak him out.
1: Interesting. That's interesting. So one of the
2: things that we've done to help him be able to deal with the curveballs of life is that we basically create these flow charts for situations for him. We call it the what if game. So, okay, we're gonna go out to dinner, Colin. And you want to go to Panera to get, you know, your favorite, the bread bowl of, uh, with the soup? Okay, what if this Panera doesn't have the bread bowl? What if they're sold out? Do you want to stay there and have something different? Or do you want us to go to the Panera that's 10 minutes down the road? Oh, I want to go to the Panera that's 10 minutes down the road. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so we go to that, if we go to that second one, what if they don't have the bread bowl? Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Are we gonna try and go to the third one that's another five minutes closer to the house, or are we gonna stay there and get something different? Mm -hmm. Oh, we're gonna get something different. Mm -hmm. Okay, what's your first choice? It's this, and what's your second choice? What's this? So him mentally mapping this out makes it so there are less surprises. and go, oh, they didn't have the Red Bull. All right, we agreed, we're going. All right, Dodd, no problem. Whereas if we hadn't done that in the past, it would be a meltdown.
1: Yeah, wow. So little things like that can cause great upset in that situation, huh? Yeah,
2: absolutely incredible. And so one of the things that I teach my business owner clients is to play the what-if game also. Okay, what if the client says this how do you respond okay what if the client says this and so basically building out those decision trees for these grown-ups these business owners whether they're financial advisors or tech startups or whatever allows them to have a greater map of the potential outcomes. so it reduces anxiety and by spending just a couple of minutes exploring these alternatives it makes them much more comfortable with the what the potential outcomes are
1: yeah yeah I understand that Um, one time ago I had a client I built a lot of websites over the years and did some different projects with different people and been involved in music and stuff but there was this one client and we wanted to do something before he died unfortunately Um, we had uh, a little business that we were set up and you know the for lack of a better name it was what they don't teach you in school and um, it was exactly what you think it is and uh, you know it's really amazing how people go through school their entire lives and still don't learn how to do basic living skills and different things like that you know what I mean Um, pretty amazing but it sounds like you've got uh, something working Um, do you write or do you have a business? Like, tell me a little bit about what you do. It sounds like you've got a lot of knowledge focused in this area. Do you uh, use that in business?
2: I I use that in business like I use everything. I'm a human Swiss army knight in a lot of ways. Um, I've got a very eclectic background. I don't say Renaissance man because I can't draw a
1: straight
2: line, even with a ruler.
1: Okay. Um, So, you know, (laughs) I say
2: physics, finance. Uh, behavioral economics, I've got a background in martial arts, I was yeah. mental officer, so I've got this vast array of skills, mm-hmm. but they are all around the concept of helping people Yes. and organizations. So, helping them be better, improving communications, improving goal setting, improving discipline, improving communication. And so, everything that I do is built around that whether it is my coaching, whether it's my book, whether it's my public speaking, it is all around that theme of helping people unlock their individual and organizational excellence.
1: That's amazing. And um, what motivates you to want to do that? Just the concept of helping people, really, isn't it?
2: Well, going back to my mom, the nun, one of the things that she taught us was that if you're having a bad day, Help somebody else And you'll always feel better. And I've yeah. had lots of bad days in my life. I even though I'm, you know, a martial arts champion, I run ultra marathons, all that, I was severely, severely asthmatic as a kid. In fact, I was actually legally dead when I was ten years old. Wow. Flat lines floating out of the body, right like, you know, the whole nine yards. old.
1: Oh, wow. Did you have an out of body? Did you have a near death experience that you remember? No, it wasn't near death.
2: I was dead dead. set. So I came back. So I don't waste time. I get 86,400 seconds a day. You do. We all do. I'm not going to waste them in any way, shape, or form. And so having that experience drives me in a lot of ways. That's why I as my friends say, burn the candle at both ends and in the middle with a flame film. <laughs> I don't know how to turn it off. i basically ram and, and then I sleep.
1: Wow, dude. Yeah, I can relate to that. When you have a passion, it, it's, they say that the thing that you should be doing is the thing that you do for the longest without getting tired. I've heard and, that saying. It seems to be yep. true.
2: And to me, that is, helping other people become better.
1: Yeah, very cool. Whether
2: it's, you know, my background as a financial advisor, or teaching physics, or teaching martial arts, or working with the Cub Scouts, or public speaking. These are all around that concept of making others better. And when you become better, and when you get this passion and enthusiasm in your own life, even if it's in one area it carries over into all sorts of other areas. it's like discipline it's a cross functional mindset that makes you better in other areas and makes you more productive and more successful and so this is what I do is I help others find this inside themselves help them use existing tools or develop new tools to use it and then bring it out to the world.
1: Very cool. Very cool. So, people that you work with are just average, normal, everyday people.
2: A, a lot of them, and then I have, you know, people who are tech founders, and I have a lot of friends who are special forces or um, executives, professional athletes. So it crosses the gamut because one of my core beliefs is we can all be better. I mean. Take a look at Tom Brady. He is clearly the GOAT at this point in his field. And yet, what does he care about? He cares about getting better. He's in the process of improvement of himself and those around him. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And, and
2: the- you can look at some of the best in any state, and they still have that mindset. So mm-hmm. I don't care if you're the 17 year old kid getting ready to finish high school, mm-hmm. if you're the 28-year-old young professional just starting to really hit their stride, or if you're near the top of the mountaintop, we all can expand our vision and improve ourselves on an individual micro-basis to become even better.
1: Absolutely. And uh, what do you say uh, gets in the way of that for most people? Is it distractions or just... Um,
2: there's a lot of distractions, what? there's a lot of societal things around it. So remember when we were talking earlier about the uh, five closest people to you or mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. you know, your friends from high school? The environment that we're in determines a lot of this. And in a lot of ways, people are like, crap, if you're in a group of people and you're trying to improve yourself... Almost half the people will try and drag you back down. If you're that crab that's climbing out of the bucket, they pull Mm -hmm. you back in. They pull you back down to their level because they don't want to see somebody succeed that much more. It's okay if you're doing okay, you're a little bit better than that. But when you're doing radically better than them, when you're making changes, when you're getting out of the bucket, they don't like that.
3: Hmm.
1: interesting. And it's because it calls out something in their nature that they recognize but aren't willing to cop to? Is it kind of like that? Because that sounds kind of selfish.
2: Exactly. Because, here's the thing, that sort of success is based on sustained effort. And they could be climbing out of that bucket too, but they're not. And so they become jealous, they become envious because they are unwilling to make the little sacrifices over the extended period to become that much better, mm-hmm. it's not going out and you know running a marathon one day. It's doing the couple of miles every single morning. Mm-hmm. It's not you know taking a magic pill. It's eating better every single day for four months where your weight loss. Yeah. It's yeah. not you know plugging in like Matrix and all of a sudden you know come through. <laughs> it's going to the training hall every single day for years
3: and sacrifice
2: to get there.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And so people see the success and they become jealous of that without realizing the sacrifice along the way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's the uh, get-rich-quick mentality, right? Instant gratification.
2: Exactly. And because of the accelerated technology and being able to Google things and minute-rights and all that, it shortened <sighs> so much. The instant mm. gratification, the short attention spans, the I need it now mm-hmm. mindset mm-hmm. is part of the reason why there's that jealousy factor of those who are willing to take the time and make the sacrifices.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, it sounds like uh, I actually just spoke with another person recently that one of the points that he was making was, you know, just turn off your devices for a little while every day and stay away from the phone because, you know, that's one of the biggest attractions there is. And, I mean, you know, it's no secret, you know, Facebook with all of the little beeps and buttons and things delivers artificial dopamine hits. That was one of the interesting things, you know, I'm sure you're aware, uh, you know, social media is made to keep your attention. And so yeah, it's
2: designed to be addictive. Yeah. And to keep you going back to get that, dopamine, as you said. So when I do my daily writing, because I write every single morning, I turn off the phone. I Mm -hmm. turn it on airplane mode, and I will set the timer and write for 20 or 25 minutes at a pop every single day. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you do that multiple times a day, and then you do that multiple weeks and months in a row, that's how you can write a 750-page book in six months.
1: Wow, absolutely! Yeah, just little by little, you've got to keep your vision and stay on track. Yeah, I mean,
2: how do you run a marathon? One step at a time.
1: Mm-hmm. How do
2: you yep. know things one by day? How do you accomplish <laughs> anything great? A little bit at a time. This is the reason why James Clear's book is called Atomic Habits because it's broken down to the smallest possible increment. But you just keep repeating and repeating and repeating
1: absolutely absolutely and speaking to that um, let me ask you something kind of unrelated but I guess it kind of relates how do you um, how do you feel connected to people like for you personally what makes you feel connected to people in general
2: one of the things is I've got a really high curiosity factor so Everybody fascinates me in some way. There's always something interesting within somebody, and we just need to try and find it. And so I ask a ton of questions, maybe too many questions, <laughs> and I just really want to understand what what makes people tick, what makes them excited. Yeah. So, for example, I don't ask people how are you doing. You know, I go, not like Joey sometimes. How are you doing? No, I ask people what are you reading, what are you learning. What are you becoming? Because those are more fundamental questions. Because how you do it, everyone's going to say, "Okay, no one really cares." That's all surface BS. Mm-hmm. I want to get into what is, you know, getting them motivated. What are they becoming? What excites them? Mm-hmm. And if you can find out what excites somebody, what the passion is, then you're going to find the real person, and you're going to be able to have a true, much deeper discussion.
1: Definitely. Yeah. And those things are really valuable. I, I always value those spontaneous interactions when they occur. It can happen at their grocery store, you know, or standing in line for gas. You know, it's that simple.
2: When I was when I had a layover on my last trip last week, you know, I met this woman who was on my next plane, which got delayed by two and a half hours also.
1: Imagine and
2: that. I just started asking her questions and all of a sudden we're hanging out in the bar <laughs> having, you know, beers and having really deep, deep conversations. And we're now connected on LinkedIn and we're communicating every couple of days. I'm helping her out with some stuff <clears> that she's got going on with work. You know, so it's because we asked real questions instead of, oh, gee, plane's delayed, must be weather sort of surface conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's good. That curiosity factor is huge. I, I feel the same way. Um, I'm very curious and I tend to ask questions and I try to hit people with left field things that get them thinking, you know what I mean? I, I love your approach. I think it's great. I really do.
2: And that's actually a tendency of our ADHD, by the way. So to our listeners who have ADHD like us, Lean into that because it will allow you to discover a lot more interesting things. And yeah, you go down some rabbit holes, but you know what? It's a great adventure.
1: Oh, hell yeah. No, it's worth it. Every now and then you find yourself in a nice cave with treasure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, dude. I'm with you. You know, it's funny. Let me just, this just came up in my mind here, but um, what do you think is the most off putting aspect of. People like us to other people who aren't ADHD because I notice every now and then even though my heart is pure as gold I don't have any type of criminal record I've always done what's right through my entire life I live by my values I'll die by them um, but there's just certain people every now and then just like old well, don't don't like me man And like I mean the very best <laughs> and you know what that's a problem that's not a you problem well, i didn't think it and was this, a me problem
2: something that people you'll know, find you know, edgy that you know, i don't care if somebody doesn't like me that's no, their problem
1: no no it's okay. more I, i'm just curious this is an introspective type question like what do you think it is about people like us that are more curious positive you know very outgoing you know very motivated to get in your face and love you really and talk to you like we have no limits. Um, I don't um, very much.
2: Well, and- that, that, that could be part of it. If we look at the big five personality traits the first one, if you use ocean, is openness and people with ADHD tend to be very, very high on the openness. So we're looking for new ideas. We tend to share our ideas yes. um, and so people who are very low in terms of academic, that could cross their threshold and make them uncomfortable.
1: Wow, it's that simple, so, huh?
2: That, if you look at it from a fundamental personality point of view, there's that and then if you're talking about extroversion versus introversion, if you have somebody who also happens to be much more on the introversion end of the spectrum, and is low in openness. Those of us who are very high in openness and um, extroversion, being diametrically opposed to them on a fundamental uh, behavioral basis, that's very often where they come into play. It's almost where there's some friction. The other thing is you hit it with your honesty. So people who are very untruthful to themselves, which could be because they've got a very inflated false self, could be for a variety of reasons. Those sort of people do not like very honest individuals because they are projecting their distrust upon us. They're looking to see where's the fault, where's the flaw. Nobody can be this pure, this good. So they are looking to Try and find a chink in the armor also in some capacity. So it could be any one of these factors or a combination of multiple of them. The reason why some people we just rub the wrong way.
1: Interesting. Yeah, that's... And
2: because I'm very low in agreeableness, I'm very blunt, because I'm so hyper-competitive in many ways, that's why I say that's a them problem, not a new problem.
1: I got you, man. You know, I agree. And I wasn't necessarily coming from a place of internalization. It was more of the objective viewpoint that you provided. That was great, actually. Um, perfect, perfect, perfect. So let me do this. Um, I definitely want to talk about your book. You have a book that's out on on Kindle and Amazon, and I'm guessing everywhere books are sold. Is that right?
2: Yep. It's called Everyday Excellence um a daily guide growing and it's really a multivitamin for life it's a daily reader so like uh the daily Stoic by ryan Holiday or the daily laws by robert green so it's meant to be read every single morning my cousin tried to read it all the way so i'm like dude don't do that Come on, <laughs> Just, you know it, because it's also written from the point of view of being adhd so I don't want to sit down and read for 45 minutes. I want two to three minutes. Give me something to contemplate throughout the day and move on. So the structure of it is that there's a quote from somebody, whether it is Leonard Bernstein or Cal Welch mm-hmm. or Voltaire or it's William great, Shakespeare. Just flipping through the book. That's a great happy thing here. Then there's discussion and analysis around it. And we hit on lots of different things, whether it's personal health, physical health, mental health, nutrition, occupation, um, relationships, all these different components. And the reader's gonna find what they're looking for in each day. So it's sort of like the mirror of Aristag or the Oracle of Delphi in that capacity. But the big thing that separates everyday excellence from a lot of the other books is that without action, we don't have change. And without change, we're not truly really learning and growing and developing. So every day there is an action item, a quick thing that the reader is supposed to do to help crystallize the concept. And that could be something as simple as doing a SWOT analysis. if you even strength, weakness, upstream, threat analysis. It could be smile at five people's guests. It could be, you know, call your best friend and talk to them. So it's right. just a little action item, but it changes the behavior for the day in a tiny manner. But if you're making tiny changes, they compound and add up. As Xenocytium, the founder of Stoicism, said, well-being is made of little steps, but no small thing. And if you looked at the cover of the book, it's got nonlinear growth curve on it. Because that's exactly what Doing you know, an hour a day of martial arts for 10 years or a couple of minutes of working on your, um, you know, your public speaking ability or practicing an instrument or investing a couple of minutes every single day with that important person and just spending time on the relationship on a regular basis, over time you end up seeing these huge results
1: mm-hmm.
2: because of the little thing.
1: Would you say that there's like a tipping point or is it more of a, you notice a little bit here and there like how does it work in terms of you know when when somebody's engaged in the book and they're looking to make a change or improve some aspects of their life um, you know where does that change start to occur like is it dependent on the person or
2: it's, it's completely dependent on the person but what I've heard from other people reading this and by the way I read this book I read my version of it every single morning as part of my morning habit stack
3: every morning
2: I read it and some days it's like ooh I don't want to do that that's going to hurt which means I have to do it because it's that much more important but someplace a couple of weeks into starting the book maybe even a month the reader's going to catch themselves at some point during the day say, ooh, and reflecting on something that they read in the book the past few days. That is where it's starting to get some traction.
1: Very cool. Very cool. And there's 365 days in the year. Um,
2: 366. We included leap year.
1: Oh, boy. Uh, Yeah, I always forget that one. (laughs) Thank you. And uh, so is it broken down like... Day one, day two, or like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? How is the book structured? It's broken
2: down by day, so it's actually January 1st, January 2nd. and Some of the dates correspond with the quote. So, for example, on February 14th, there's something about love. On St. Patrick's Day, there's a quote about being Irish. Mm -hmm. On May the 4th, obviously, of course, I quoted Master Yoda Mm
3: -hmm.
2: because it's Star Wars Day. (laughs) So there's a couple of those, but for the most part, it's relatively free-flowing. So every day's quote relates to the next day's quote somewhat so that you get these themes that will appear for two or three days and then go below the surface and then might come up again in five or six months to reinforce in a very organic manner.
1: Very cool. Very cool. And the feedback that you get uh, from people, do you um, interact with people that read? And, I mean, obviously you have some feedback to share this analysis, but um, statistically... I, I get
2: random, like, texts from friends who read the book, mm-hmm. and they're like, dude, I stopped smoking because of this. Right or, on. the best that I have, actually, is my father has a copy of the book. My father's in his early 80s. Wow. And about once a week, I'll get a call or a text from him referencing it or asking a question.
1: That's and so cool. To me, that is the coolest thing. Yeah, man, that is awesome. That is amazing. Wow. Hey, uh, you know, I know it's a little late in the game for this, but I'm just curious now that you mentioned your father. your your mother was a nun.
2: Yep, my mom was a nun.
1: and um, your father and she
2: became a college professor. My dad was army.
3: Uh, oh, wow. was going
2: to be sent to Vietnam, but had the option to go into the reserve. So he did that and founded a consulting firm, and he ended up being a hospital consultant for 50-plus years.
1: Wow, that's amazing. How cool, man. Huh. Yep.
2: So I've learned a lot about consulting and interaction and stuff like that from my dad, and my mom gave me the love of teaching and helping other people. And yeah. so I, um, Orville uh, Wright was asked, "How does somebody become a success in the United States?" And he said, "Be born in, in rural Ohio to good parents." Now I'm from <laughs> rural upstate New York, so I had the good parents that set the example. Like my mom encouraged our curiosity and mm-hmm. taught us to be able to be self-reliant. I mean, my mom's the one who taught us to hotwire cars. Oh, I'm wow. The one who taught us how to shoot really? and to perform scientific experiments and to distill alcohol and all these other things. My awesome. dad taught me mathematics and uh, consulting and how to tie a tie and how to interact with people more powerful than you and hey, hey. how to have respect <laughs> and mechanical things. Oh. Hard work. So having these dual influences laid the groundwork for where I started making my own choices based
1: off of that. Absolutely. The influence of a balanced parental unit, you know, is probably a big uh, thank you that you have in life, right? Like having the benefit of both parents.
2: Yeah. And so that is part of my obligation is to help pay that forward. And as I said, my parents taught us that if you're having a bad day, help somebody else out my dad you know lived this example and even when we didn't have a lot we took we helped uh, with charity with people who had even less yeah. and so I'm a, a scout and boy scout leader based on w- what my parents taught me because for some of these kids they don't have a good father figure they don't have a strong male figure they don't have somebody who's going to encourage their nerdy behavior or want them to uh try new things and all this and so i've got kids who were scouts under me 10 years ago who are coming back and thanking me today because they had a good influence and so it is those little things like that which literally mean the world
1: that's so cool man yeah i remember being a boy scout our scout leader was really good too um so just really quick um because i can't let this go So let me get this straight. You were making moonshine with your mom, the nun? Well, we weren't making moonshine
2: because we (laughs) weren't necessarily distilling it down, but she taught us to ferment. Oh, wow. Basic biological process. So we make wine. Okay. She also taught us fermentation. So I learned how to um, distill and all that sort of stuff. Then when I went to college, actually, one of my attorney brothers used to take the leftover alcohol and grow stuff at the parties and distill <laughs> it down. And this guy actually from there owns a major high end uh, distillery in Vermont. Wow. Because of that sort of stuff. So <laughs> these are little things that you don't know where it could potentially take you.
1: That's so, for
2: sure. If somebody's parent like introduces them to music, okay? The first album I ever owned was Jimi Hendrix Are You Experienced because I stole it from my mom. Really? So if my mom had not been interested in Jimi Hendrix and Black Sabbath and all this other stuff, again, a little unusual for a nun, then I'd never have this love for heavy metal music. Wow, He's also dude. the one who introduced me to the Clancy Brothers and that's the reason why I love yeah. Irish folk. Yeah, man. So these weird influences come from these tiny openings
1: that's so cool my first album um you just made me think of it of course i mean how can you not uh, my first album was the clash combat rock and i still have it actually Great album. Great yeah album. dude wasn't it though i mean i sat and listened to it over and over and then the next one i bought was donald fagan the Nightfly, dude that was like oh my gosh when i discovered donald fagan do you know him
2: I, I don't. I'm going to go with the now. Oh. I'm learning from this. You're, you're, you're going to awesome. know.
1: Oh, dude, you're going to love it. Yeah, Donald Pagan is great. He's got a lot of hits. You probably heard it on the radio. I just didn't know it was him. But very distinguishable voice, very distinguishable music. And you'll you'll really enjoy Donald Pagan. I know you will, Dad. Like, for sure, I can tell. <laughs>
2: and so the second album I ever bought was Weird Al Yankovic dare to be stupid. So I'm looking forward to the Weird Al biopic coming oh,
1: up. Oh, dude, yeah, that's yeah. so crazy. Weird Al, those were back in the days when Dr. Demento was still on KMET. Uh, the yeah, and we were, like
2: being on the East Coast, I'd have to wait up, and my brother and I would like yeah. set the recorder to be able to record it, because it was so far after our bedtime.
1: Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I was on the West Coast, and it was still past my bedtime, but we listened to it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Demento, man. Do you remember a guy named Wally George? No. Ever heard, ever heard that name? That was the original Jerry Springer. I mean, we're really going off track here, which is great. It's kind of fun. But um, Wally George is an interesting guy to look up, too. He was the very first, as I understand it, controversial talk show host. And he did these, these live things where he'd have guests come that he was totally opposed to. Like, he's Mr. Conservative. And he would have, like, crazy, back then, the crazy Democrat you know, which was a lot milder than today's, but we're not going to talk about politics. Um, and he would have these people on the show, and, like, his thing, it was called hot seat, and it was a hot seat, man. And it was always, like, just fiery arguments, and tables would get thrown, and, like, I mean, you really have to see it to believe that that was happening in the 80s. <laughs> Uh, But yeah, good times, man. Yeah. Hey, do you think society is going to get to a place that we're all going to be happy with? What direction do you think things are going in with regard to, you know, everything COVID and otherwise? I know we don't really want to, you know, get too far down that line, but what do you see for the future?
2: Well, actually, when you were talking about, you know, the uh, Democrats in the 1980s and being very different than today, um, it made me go back to some basic statistical principles. Yes, I am hyper nerdy like this. That's cool. In that, if we have a bell curve of the distribution of people spread to the right and the left, as you get more and more people, you know, so America now has 350ish million people. In the 1980s, we had 200 million. Mm-hmm. And if you go back to the 1950s, we had barely 100 million. So yeah. as you put more people on this curve, what's gonna happen is you're gonna have more people on the very extreme. Mm,
1: and the nice extremes
2: view. are gonna push further up. And yeah. part of the way that our political system works in a two-party system is that basically you have people running in their district to get the nomination. And so they need to move further and further to the left or the right to stand out and get the people of their party to vote for them. And then they get into the general election, and they're so far out there that it's very difficult for them to agree on anything with the person from the opposing party. So you have this polarization that is one partially fed by the two party system. And two can further reinforce simply by the growing number of individuals. Because if you have a thousand people, you'll have one idiot and one genius. If yeah. you have a hundred thousand people, you're gonna have ten idiots or you know a hundred idiots and a hundred geniuses, and you're gonna have a handful of those idiots be really, really stupid and do something so incomprehensibly dumb that we now have to bubble wrap everybody because the lowest denominator is influencing things. And you'll also have these people on the absolute highest end who are being the innovators and change agents and creating new technology and all that. So you're going to have further and further acceleration as you have more and more people because you have the same number of good ideas per person but you have so many more people and you're getting further and further outliers.
3: Yeah, so yeah. the
2: combination of a, you know, X versus Y, the tyranny of the or, versus having the potential of the and, you know, or a four-party system or whatever, having two axes as opposed to a single one that we're trying to be just in, and the sheer number of people, and then when you throw the vast amounts of money that are out in, in play, I'm a diehard capitalist, we don't have capitalism. We have corporations okay? Mm-hmm. We have corporations with more money than God, who legally, because of the Supreme Court, are considered to be people who are able to influence these decisions and basically be able to buy out.
3: Mm-hmm. So oh, I, put g- up I get that.
2: For new yeah. individuals, and so there's not the turnover and the destruction within the corporations that there was and you know you combine that with the fact that you have people being in Congress for 50 plus years and yep. they're basically you know their wealth comes from the way of the political system being structured is you've got all these different things so yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah
2: the way to fix the country one you know reduce the amount of money that's being able to be in politics to reduce the amount of time people are allowed to play in politics three uh, encourage more questioning of everything because too many people are buying into oh well you know my blue friends say this my red mm-hmm. people say this or what have you and we need more purple people
1: Mhm. Yeah, the division of it all is probably the biggest thing. So overall, the future is in the hands of the politics, unfortunately, and that's in the hands of the people. Right,
2: but unfortunately, the vast majority of people are so fed up with it or don't care or are distracted by TikTok or football or beer or whatever that they don't actively get involved. Because people are lazy. I mean, it's the way the brain. The brain uses 20% of the energy of the body even though it's only 5% of the mass, And so we look for shortcuts. And so those empowered give us the easy explanations and the shortcuts and all that, and we just become lazy. And it leads to a continual you know, decline in the system. So we need basically a kick in the pants and a shot of people getting involved and in asking questions and being willing to... Sacrifice a little bit of energy, a little bit of time, a little bit of comfort to do the better thing.
1: For something of the greater good, the greater good of the people.
2: Yep. And yep. I've got saying, comfort kills. Because we have evolved because of technology to the point where light is almost free. Energy is very expensive by historical comparison. Calories are... Is dirt cheap overall, and so it's made us live a life of ease, and so we don't want to disrupt it.
1: That's right. And yeah, so the natural.
2: completely distracted by the ten thousand channels on TV and the five hundred billion YouTube channels and all that sort of stuff, as opposed to taking the opportunity to tap into that and using it for self betterment. But that's difficult. That's hard. People don't like doing hard things. It's just human nature.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So we've kind of been led down this path as uh, people where, you know, in the old days, like Cro-Magnum, Caveman days, uh, we really had to work hard for all those things. And I mean, our luxuries were very basic and few, but as time goes on, it's almost like we got spoiled into that laziness, right? Exactly. And, you know,
2: growing up, you know, we haven't had, you know, a real threat to... You know our survival in the United States, other than nine eleven, you know, since 1940 to 43 when we started changing the the war, so three generations, and we forgotten what it's like to have a victory garden, have to have rationing, sacrificing all these things. So it the best thing for the country is if everybody decided to just. Make the slightly more difficult choice for a couple of months. Even tiniest thing, you know. I'm not gonna have the cupcakes. I'm gonna eat the apple. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna drive the you know quarter mile to the store. I'm gonna walk. In. I'm you know not gonna watch the stupid thing on TV. I'm gonna sit here and actually read a newspaper or read a book or whatever. If we had one month of everybody choosing five minutes a day of slightly more difficult but better choices, the change in the country
1: would be best. Absolutely. And uh, that's actually a perfect place to segue into our wrap-up. Um, your book deals with just that. It sounds like the perfect uh, tool for somebody that's looking to make changes over a period of time to gain introspective insight and Um, really become a better person overall in society, right? Like, your book addresses all of those things, doesn't it? Yeah,
2: I mean, as you know, as I can say, well-being is no small thing but made up of small steps. You know, or Deadpool was told by clauses in the movie, four or five choices. Four or five choices determine if you're a hero or a villain. If we make four or five micro-decisions per day out of the 10,000 decisions we make, four or five slightly better choices every single day. The difference to our life is night and day.
1: Very cool, very cool. How do people find your book?
2: So it's available anywhere books are sold. So Barnes & Noble, you might have to request it, Amazon, anywhere like that. Or they can go to my website, Mm everyday-excellence.com. That's everyday-excellence.com. And I would actually recommend they go to the website because there's a lot of other resources there. There's a daily blog post that I put up. All the ah. podcasts go there. There's links to the TikTok and the YouTube channel and all these other components because what I want to do is reach out and help 100 million people over the next 12 months. Now. So oh. I don't care if it's just listening to podcasts like this and they get a little insight. Reading articles that I write for the various magazines, you know, listening to me on a radio program, going to the blog and just reading things like that. If I can have tiny impact on a hundred million people this year, the additive effect of that and the fact that it's little nodes of better decisions resonating throughout the system is going to have a tremendous positive impact overall. So that's my mission over the next 12 months, and thank you for helping
1: me reach those people and help them. Very cool, yeah, man. That sounds amazing. So little by little, we're gonna hopefully help change the world if they'll just, if the people will just jump in there, sacrifice a little bit of their enjoyment, entertainment, instant gratification to do something meaningful. That's really all that you're asking for. Yeah, each, uh, uh, each I'm day. I'm
2: asking for huge amounts. Get, you know, I'll take one to two minutes per day. That's,
1: That's nothing. That's
2: all it takes to make your life be immensely better and more active.
1: Very cool, very cool. And does it deal with things like depression and anxiety and things? I know a lot of people suffer. At various
2: points throughout it, yes. So every couple of weeks, I will cycle back and hit on those and give an idea or two on how to deal with it. Or how to reach out to a friend or you know it, how to help somebody else with because if, if somebody else is having a bad day and we can help them out in a small way then we're basically making deposits in the cosmic bank account and at some point when we're in that low place somebody will reach out to us.
1: very cool very cool so everyone really has a big part to play in this but Without the collective effort of people, change will never be seen, you know, it's just little dots on a map, but I really admire your vision and your passion for wanting to improve society. It sounds like if just a small fraction of the people that you're looking to attract uh, touch bases with this, it's going to make a big difference. So I look forward to seeing that in the future.
2: Todd, thank you for giving me this opportunity because, you know, if we look at, the world as a pointillistic painting, each dot is important, and each dot contributes to the greater image. So it's a combination of the macro view and the micro-individualistic view, and we can all make those individual choices to be that much better.
1: Absolutely. So the power is within our control. We just need to make the effort to make it happen. I like that you have it broken down in ADHD terms uh, into bite-sized pieces. Uh, to me, that's very appealing, of course, for obvious reasons, but uh, I'm sure other people, because we're all so busy, uh, will probably find value in that. Little little pieces are easier to swallow, I think, for people. I, I think you really hit on something there.
2: I hope so. Thank you.
1: My pleasure. And just don't forget, Joe Templin, his book, Everyday Excellence, is available anywhere you can buy books. And at his website, everyday-excellence.com. And I just want to thank you, Joe.
2: Thank you, Todd. Be excellent and grow today.
1: Awesome, man. Thank you very much for being on the podcast show today, Joe. I really appreciate you sharing.
0: to the ToddCast show. If you found today's episode helpful and meaningful, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on what's next. Remember that the ToddCast show is all about community and connection. So follow the podcast on your preferred social platform to keep updated on everything I've got in store. Also, check out ToddCastShow.com. To find out more and stay connected with me, Todd Mira, be sure to tell your friends and family about the Toddcast show so the podcast family can continue to grow and share on an international level. See you over on the next episode.